Would you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter one? Galatians chapter one. Let's pull that first slide up. Boom. Uh, week three in the, story, in the journey of Galatians, uh, we have called this uh, series for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, week three in the series, when you think about freedom, when you think about biblical Christian freedom, think anti-captivity. Freedom is anti-captivity. Freedom is anti-bondage to law. When you think about freedom, when we, when, when we use the word freedom in Christ, right? When we think about freedom, think Jesus because Jesus is freedom. Um, the Jewish leaders, most of the Jewish leaders um, that were around uh, Jerusalem, when Jesus, uh, Judea, up in Galilee, Jerusalem, most of the Jewish leaders, they hated Jesus because Jesus is freedom. Jesus came against their religion. He came against their law. He came against their traditions. He came against their constant evaluations, their judgment, their fear tactics, their control. And because the freedom of Jesus came against their law, they hated him for it. There was a zealous religious leader that rose up in Jerusalem after Jesus died and resurrected. Very prominent, zealous um, Jewish leader. Uh, his name is Saul of Tarsus. In Acts 8, we see Saul of Tarsus giving approval to the killing of Christians. His purpose was to literally destroy the church. This is the author of our book. Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul, is the author of our book. Uh, Saul is his Jewish name. Saul is his Hebrew name, okay? But he was also a Roman citizen. And so his Roman name uh, was Paul. It's really the same. It's Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. He went by both of those names. He was converted to the way of Jesus in Acts chapter nine. Famous story, road to Damascus, Acts chapter nine, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And in that story, this, this person, Saul of Tarsus, who was murdering Christians and destroying the church uh, came to follow Jesus in this dramatic convergence story. And in that story, Jesus called him to preach the gospel, not to Jews, but to Gentiles, non-Jews. And so it was natural for him to go by the name Paul because his, his mission was to preach the gospel to non-Jews. If God had called Paul to preach the gospel to, to Jewish people like he did Peter, we probably would know Paul as Saul, but we know him as the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament because his calling, his mission from Jesus was to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And so we know him as Paul. Again, Paul was a religious tyrant. He was a murderer. We could say it this way, Paul or Saul of Tarsus was a warlord. This is who he was before he knew Jesus. This is who he was before he had an encounter with the grace of Jesus. Before Paul was a freedom fighter, he was a murderer and a warlord. 
In our text today, uh, the second half of Genesis, not Genesis, Galatians chapter one, uh, we're gonna hear a bit of his testimony. We're gonna hear his story of redemption. It will convince you, it will convince you of this. Hearing Paul's story, his testimony, will convince you that no one is ever too far gone for God's grace to save, restore, redeem, transform their life. Amen? No one in the world, no one that you know, even someone that you despise, no one is ever too far gone for God's grace to radically save, restore, redeem, transform. Even Paul can be saved and restored. Even Jason can be saved, redeemed, restored. Even you, even the person that you cannot stand. I wanna start with um, some overview statements. It's been a couple of weeks. We've had a couple of Sundays in Galatians. Last Sunday was our Scattered Sunday. Um, by the way, for those of you that participated in that, thank you for getting out in the community and serving. Uh, we served the Matthews House. We served at Putnam Elementary. We did some yard cleanup work. We, there's a lot of projects that are happening around town. And so uh, thank you for participating in that. We continue to wanna encourage people to think of the last Sunday of the month. We don't gather here. We scatter uh, to serve and worship. Uh, that'll come again uh, in May. Uh, so it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Galatians. So let me get us up to speed. Uh, the letter was written uh, to churches in Galatia. Uh, and so if we could look at this map, Galatia, I think I've got a little pointer on this thing. Let me see. Yeah, you see that? Galatia in the green. Uh, here is Jerusalem down here on the Mediterranean Sea. Here is Damascus where Paul had the encounter with Jesus. Um, Paul went on his first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, in this region here in Galatia, and he planted lots of different churches based on the new covenant message of Jesus and his grace. But soon after he left Galatia, he planted the churches, trouble, trouble came into the churches in Galatia. By the way, we're gonna read this a little bit later. You're gonna hear about uh, Cilicia right there. You see Tarsus right below it. Um, that's in our text today. Antioch right there, Syria is the region. Antioch, that is Paul's home sending church. And so he's from here. Uh, he'll go um, today, I'll say he goes to Arabia, which is to the east and spends some time after he got saved here, comes back to Damascus. He'll go up to uh, Syria and Cilicia. So that's a, some geographic context there. So we can pull, let me pull that slide off. So, um, you're not distracted by it. Here's the trouble. Here's the trouble that came into the churches. Some Jewish leaders came up from Jerusalem and scholars and people that write commentators, they call these Jewish leaders Judaizers. Some Judaizers came up from Jerusalem after Paul had planted the churches and the Judaizers are known for this, Jesus plus Moses. They are known as people that was promoting a message that was grace plus law. Jesus, yes, Jesus, but also the law of Moses. And you have to have Jesus and you have to have the law of Moses in order for your conversion to be true and for you to be fully accepted by God. It's Jesus plus the law. That was their message. And that was the trouble uh, that was happening that Paul addresses in this letter. Uh, in a word, if, we wanna, if you wanna put a word on the purpose of the letter of Galatians, it is this. The trouble that Paul addresses in Galatians is legalism. 
That is what he is addressing throughout the letter. And if we're gonna have a good understanding, I would say a proper understanding of the book of Galatians, you and I need to have a really good understanding of what legalism actually is. I wanna put this definition up of legalism so that we can have this. I would encourage, if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write this down. Um, you can snap a picture of it if you like to with your phone, that's fine as well. Here's, here's, here's the understanding of legalism, what Paul is passionately addressing in this letter. A religious system that requires commitment to law, laws, in order to be accepted by God. Yes, Jesus, yes, the Judaizers that came up from Judaism, yes, yes, Jesus, of course, Jesus, but also the law. And there are requirements and a commitment to the law that you must also embrace and own in order for you to be accepted by God. Um, in Galatians, what Paul is coming against is this Jesus plus Mosaic law message. He's coming against grace plus law, which he calls... And we talked about this two weeks ago. He calls a different gospel altogether. We've put this up the last couple of weeks, this simple equation for us to understand the purpose of Galatians. Um, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's the false gospel. That's what Paul is coming against. Jesus plus anything, the false gospel, legalism, to be accepted by God, uh, the message that Paul is fighting for, uh, for the churches is Jesus plus nothing equals the true gospel. That is what freedom means. So legalism, we think about legal, legalism, legal law. Legalism subverts, hear this, subverts the adequacy of Christ's all-sufficient work on the cross and the abandonment of the Holy Spirit as God's way of guiding Christians in our lives. Legalism subverts the sufficiency of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it says, you must add to that in order to be accepted. Here's a couple of examples I wanna give you of how legalism leaks into our lives. In the book of Galatians, the way it was leaking into their lives was you have to still embrace the old covenant law of circumcision. That's not really relevant for us. So let me give you a couple examples of how legalism messes with Christians today and robs us of freedom. There's um, an author, um, teacher, theologian, his name is Scott McKnight. He's wrote a lot, a lot of books. Uh, Blue Parakeet is a great book on uh, understanding biblical interpretation, how to apply the scripture to our life today. Fantastic uh, book. He also wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. I read this this week. I want to read this to you. Scott McKnight, he says, uh, how, uh, first example, how legalism creeps in, okay? He says, it's like telling a new follower of Jesus that he or she must become Lutheran, a Methodist, Presbyterian, etc., before the conversion process is truly complete and acceptable to God. When this sort of thing happens, the message itself is changed. It is no longer surrender to Christ, but join our group. And here's what you must do to join our group. Scott McKnight says, the focus of salvation shifts from Christ to movement. 
When conformity, I would say these are my words, when conformity to a group is more important than revelation from God about Jesus, which is what Paul received, direct revelation from Jesus. When conformity to a group is more important than revelation from God about Jesus, we have left the gospel. When a situation in a, in a group is, I'm thinking more about what I have to do to belong and be accepted in this group as opposed to grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, we have added to Jesus and legalism creeps into our life. And what we end up doing is we think more about what I'm supposed to be doing than about what Jesus has already done for us. And legalism creeps into our lives. Another example, I read a book from my theology class in seminary many years ago called Grace in Practice. I've mentioned this quote a few times over the years that made that big of an impact on me when I read it. Very sobering perspective on how the church contributes to legalism that robs Christians of their freedom in Christ and a trusting in the sufficient work of Christ and a trust in the Holy Spirit to literally transform our lives in the gospel. And it says this, God's one-way love of grace, the unmerited favor of grace. Think of grace, one-way love, unmerited favor, that is grace. God's one-way love of grace changes everything in us then you enter some form of church or community. And at this point, the iron curtain of the law comes down. You are told that you need to be held accountable and that there are lists of things to do. And the law gets reimposed. Right after they receive grace, they get punished with the law again. No wonder the hymn writer complained, where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord. Legalism can creep into our lives pretty easily. Now, let me emphasize this for a moment because some of you might be wondering about this. So I wanna emphasize this for a second. Spiritual disciplines are good and helpful if they are not rooted in legalism, if they are rooted and grounded in the love of God, book of Ephesians, Paul writes, if they are built on a foundation of rest in Christ and freedom in Christ, and, they are, and grace is empowering us forward to learn and grow, spiritual disciplines are really good and beneficial if they're not rooted in legalism. You will find few people, you will find few people who will contest that prayer, consistent prayer, reading the Bible, meditation, and fellowship with other believers are important for for discipleship and spiritual growth. Those are helpful realities. These disciplines are not wrong. They're helpful when they're empowered by grace. Are you guys with me? But when they're rooted in legalism, it takes the focus off of Jesus and onto ourselves for our own spiritual development. When these things legalistically usurp the roles of Christ and the spirit, they distort and they rob us of our freedom. Here's a, a clear, clear reminder of what, where, where we're heading in the book of Galatians from Paul. Galatians is about anti-legalism. That's what this book is about. Paul's message is Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing. It's not morality or 
trans, the transformation of people's lives. Paul's not opposing morality. Paul's not opposing the transformation of our lives. That's not what he's opposing in the book of Galatians. Those are good things. It's changing the gospel into something more than Christ alone. That is what Paul is coming against. You guys with me right now? He is coming against adding to the sufficient work of Jesus in order to be accepted by God. It is anti-legalism. So I wanna start, I'm gonna read uh, um, verses 11 and 12. We finished two weeks ago with these two verses and I want to start with this and then highlight one phrase in this before we get to the rest of the passage. So uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12, Paul says again to the churches in Galatia, I want you to know that the gospel, the good news that I preached is not something that man made up. This isn't something that somebody has given me. I haven't made this up. Somebody else didn't give this to me so that I would give it to you. This is not a man made up deal. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Acts chapter nine, that's the story, okay? This phrase, the gospel that I preach, that's the phrase I want to um, highlight for you. Because when we think about Galatians, Paul is anti-legalism. And then he says, the gospel I preached. And he's making a distinction between the gospel that he preached and the different gospel that the Judaizers came up and preached that caused all the trouble. And I'm gonna simplify it in these three, three statements. This is the gospel that Paul has preached to the Galatian churches. And again, I would encourage you to write this down, snap a picture of it, because this is, this is what Paul is fighting for throughout the book of Galatians. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It is in Jesus and his grace alone. That is where salvation acceptance before God is. Secondly, salvation comes by faith alone. And when we say faith alone, it means this, apart, separated from living under the old covenant law. Faith alone is to be understood as separated, apart from living uh, according to the law of Moses, which is what the Judaizers were promoting. And then thirdly, salvation is for Gentiles as much as it is for Jews. Paul wasn't promoting Jewish Christianity. And he wasn't promoting Gentile Christianity. What Paul was promoting was Christianity. He was promoting new covenant of grace Christianity. And it was a totally separate reality that people needed to understand. Paul's message is a gospel of pure grace. And he will say later in, this, um, in, this, in our letter, he'll say that any message, any proclamation, any person, whether it's me or an angel from heaven or whoever, if anybody proclaims a gospel message that mingles traditions and uh, additions and legalism with grace as a means of salvation or acceptance, he says, let them be accursed. There is no mixing traditions, additions, legalism with the gospel of grace. That is the message that Paul is promoting. So this passage is very brief passage, verses 13 to 24. This is Paul uh, reminding the Galatian believers of his testimony, who he is, um, 
And so this, is, this, this would be like if Paul was here and he had an opportunity to share his testimony, this is, what, this is his testimony to us. This is Paul's story, his experience with the gospel of grace. He tells the church in verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, I was, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, the Jewish traditions of my father. I was intensely persecuting the church and I was zealous for the Jewish traditions. Verse 13, or verse 15, excuse me. But when God... But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia. I went into the wilderness. I went to the east, into Arabia. We don't know what what went on in Arabia. We don't know what happened there. Um, He just says, I went into Arabia. He spent some time probably alone. And he later, he returned to Damascus, which is where his conversion happened. And then after three years, I I went to Jerusalem. So three years plus years, we don't really know. Like it was a while after he was converted to Jesus. He went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and he stayed with Peter for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. What's Paul doing here? He is distinguishing himself as separate from the Judaizers. Their message hasn't mingled with my gospel. And he's telling these Galatian churches, what I'm telling you is no lie. I received this from Jesus himself by revelation from Jesus himself. And so he's, he's building a case that his authority is not from the Judaizers, but from the revelation of Christ. in my place. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. Syria and Cilicia. Syria is the region where his home church is, Antioch. Cilicia is the region where he was from, Saul of Tarsus. So later, I, I went and spent some time at home. That's what he's saying. And I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. Judea is the region of Israel that Jerusalem is in. I, I was unknown to the churches in Judea. I was spending time in Syria and Cilicia. But he says this, they only heard the report about me. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me. They praised God because of the life change that happened in my life because of grace. Lots of detail here. This is where I was. Uh, This is where I went. Uh, after I met Jesus, this is to convey again to his readers that he pre- what he's preaching to them, the gospel that he preaches, independent of the Judaizers who came after him with their legalism. He was not taught his message by any man. He did not receive it by any man. He received it directly from Jesus by revelation. And that is what he gave them when he was in Galatia. 
His description, this is, this is interesting as he shares his testimony. The description of his past, focus, when he says, I was, focuses on the Jewish traditions that were passed on to him. Traditions that he was once very zealous for, but now these traditions and additions, that's exactly what he's arguing against. It's a complete and total reordering of his life. Radical, radical life change. This is a radical life change story from Paul's life. And I love this brief narrative of Paul's journey. It is brief, but it is a radical testimony about what happened in his life when he met Jesus. Grace transformed literally everything in his life. Grace saved Paul and restored him and redeemed him and transformed him. It is a radical testimony of God's grace. And we see it in three brief verses, this brief uh, this brief statement in verse 14, if, if, you, if you wanna put a box around this, if you're an underliner in your Bible, I was, I was in verse 14. He says, I was intensely persecuted. I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was, that's who I was. And then verse 15, underline this, but when God, I was, but God called me by his grace. And then he says in verse 16, this is the new reality for Paul. Underline this, so that I might preach to the Gentiles. I was, God called me by his grace so that I might preach to the Gentiles. I literally was going this way at an encounter with Jesus. I was going this way. I was this person. I met Jesus, transformed by Jesus. And now I might preach to the Gentiles. I'm going directly, the, a, a radical, total reorientation of his entire life. And what he's talking about is his own experience of grace. This is Paul's story. It's his experience of grace and how that experience reorient, reoriented and changed his life. Question I want you to consider with me. How do you believe that real, actual, real, tangible life change happens in a person's life. Like, how does that happen? For someone who is a Christian, for somebody who believes in the person of Jesus, follows Jesus, how do you believe their life actually changes? How does transformation in someone's life actually, how does that work? What does that look like? Um, would you answer, oh, it's the spiritual disciplines. Like people change because they, they, be, they change because they begin to implement spiritual disciplines. And that's how they change. As you pray and you go to church and you read the Bible and you have a quiet time and you get an accountability partner and you, you, that's an and change happens as you implement these, these disciplines. Maybe it's equipping, you know, I get equipped or, or education. I mean, I'm in seminars and I'm learning things. Or maybe your answer would be, well, you just, you change because you work hard. You change because you have a good attitude. You know, like that's how people change. It's hard work and a good attitude. That, that's how you change. Or perhaps the real key to real change, you might say, is like, well, it's, it's, up, to, it's up to me. It's up to you. Like if you're going to change, you got, you got to change. Like you got you to do it, right? Like that's how this thing works. Well, I, I just want to say none of those answers is Paul's message. That's not Paul's message about how change. That's not what he says in his testimony. 
He's, putting, he's not putting the emphasis on what you need to do. He is putting the emphasis on Jesus and his grace and what Jesus has given you and how Jesus empowers you to change. Real life change, this is the testimony of Paul and I believe the authority of the scriptures for us this morning. Real life change, real transformation, real overcoming sin, real movement away from the lies of our flesh, the enemy, the world, real actual change, tangible restoration, redemption, transformation, only comes by a revelation of Jesus and his grace that empowers you to change. The empowerment for change is Jesus and his grace. Paul puts the emphasis on Jesus for change, not the emphasis on you to change. But when we put the emphasis on Jesus to change, you're gonna change because you're looking at Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's grace on the front end and grace on day two and grace on day three and grace empowering us to be transformed for the rest of our lives. And by God's grace, we participate in that, certainly, but it is the empowerment of grace in Jesus that is the change. Real life change is the grace of God in Jesus. The warlord who hated Christians now advancing the cause of Christ. The Jewish zealot now preaching Jesus to Gentiles, right? Grace did that. Paul didn't do that. Grace did that. Here's what this brief passage tells me. God is able to save, transform, redeem, restore any person, any life at any time. Do you believe that? He is able to transform any person, any life at any time. No one is ever too far gone for the grace of Jesus to save and transform. And if Jesus can save Paul, he can save, restore, redeem anyone. If Jesus and his grace can save Jason, he can save, redeem, restore anyone. Grace is that powerful. Grace is that powerful and that good. And it's only grace that does it. It's not traditions and it's not the law. What about, what about you? What about you? This was Paul's story. Genesis, or Genesis, why do I keep saying Genesis? Galatians 1, 13 to 24 is Paul's story. What's your story? What, what I love about this passage is I think it's profitable. I believe it's beneficial for those of us who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus to write out, to know a brief account of our own testimony to give an account, the scripture says, always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have in Jesus. And what I love about this passage is that it gives us a really clear, easy way to kind of think about that so that when we have an opportunity to share our own life change, we can do what Paul did. And it's three things. It's, this is who I was. This is who I was. This, this is how God saved me. This is how I met grace. And thirdly, this is who I am now. It's just really so simple. And I believe that it's profitable, beneficial for all of us in this room to have an answer to that. And we can encourage each other with those stories. I, um, my family, we've talked about The Chosen up here before. We love The Chosen. It's a, it's a um, you get it on an app. There's they're season one, now there's season two. Uh, it's fantastic. I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about it. But in, in the first couple of episodes of season one, it's the story of Mary Magdalene. 
And I think it's episode two, uh, Nicodemus, right? The Pharisee in the Sanhedrin from Jerusalem. He's there in Galilee and he's questioning like what happened in Mary's life. And this was her statement to him. She just simply says, I was one way, I was one way. And the way she was, was possessed of the enemy. And she goes, and now I'm totally different. And the only thing in between was him. And I'm gonna know him for the rest of my life because he changed me from the inside out. What about you? What's your story? What's your story? I was blank, but God called me by his grace so that I blank. What's your story? How would you fill in those blanks? Here's my blanks. I was a performance addict, but God called me by his grace so that I could rest and invite others to rest in Jesus. What's your story? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, and they, the people of God, they have conquered him, him, the enemy, Satan himself. They, us, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimonies. You wanna be a part of the work of God to to help people overcome and be transformed? People overcome by the, the message, Jesus's blood saves you, has forgiven you, you are forgiven and free. And let me tell you a bit about my own testimony about how real this is for me. And people overcome the enemy because of the blood and the word of testimonies. 